All right, what's up, everybody? Uh, this is going to be a different type of episode this week. So uh, I'm gonna I'm going solo, and I'm talking specifically about all the things that I've learned about the mental side of the game. So I have seven different tips that I think will help the players that you work with, whether it be hitters, pitchers, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so these are just the things that I've learned from coaches over the years, from players, from coaching myself, interviewing through this podcast. And so I, I think it's going to be something that that you're going to be able to to take and and help with players right away. So the first thing that that I like to do when working with players is figure out like what's their version of success. Like what does it look like? Because I think that's a, a a big problem with a lot of the a lot of players right now is they view solely getting hits as having success. And so what what ends up happening when when you view success as just getting hits and it's just an outcome based is you can't always control that, right? You can do everything right and and still, in their mind, not have success. So there's, there's different ways. So the way I view success is a little bit differently, right? I, I view it as as you have your own, your own process or your own plan. And if you have success, if you stick to that plan. And so I'm going to give you an example. So a few years ago, um, Joey Votto, back when he was the Joey Votto, right? Like MVP form Joey Votto. He he had a game. He was three for four in the game. I believe he had he had a game winning hit. And the next day he goes back into the batting cage and he's talking to uh, one of the coaches and one of the coaches like, hey, a great job last night. And Vado was like, uh, I, I wasn't I didn't think that was very, very good performance. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? You went three for four. Like you had like the game winning hit. And he said, yeah, but. I didn't swing at my pitches and I wasn't on time. And so that that's not going to be sustainable over the course of the entire season. Like if I keep that up, I'm not going to have the same amount of success that I want throughout the course of the entire season. The next night he goes, Oh, for four goes in the cage the next day and goes, that is what I like. That is going to be sustainable throughout the course of the season. I got my pitches and I was on time. And so he views success way differently, as I would say, 99% of the hitters on, on the planet. And I definitely probably like 99.99% of, of all amateur hitters in college and high school hitters. And so, but by him framing it that way, A, he's less likely to, to be on a roller coaster ride, right? Because he's, he has more control over success, his success, how he views success versus having someone who just solely relies on outcome-based success, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. You could hit a line drive right at somebody. You could barrel a ball and, um, you know, someone makes a great diving play and you're out or whatever it may be. And so I thought that was interesting is, you know, just from you know, listening to that story from that coach who, who told that to me is, it, and that just made me think of like, you got to be able to help players define what success is to them. Because it's going to be different for each guy. And if we can try to get them away from it being about solely hits and, and outcome base and home runs and doubles. And and I get it. That's, you know, some guys that may help them have with goals. But I think over the long term, it's it's not as not as sustainable. Number two. So that was number one is define success. Number two, plan for failure. So we had Andy McKay on the podcast uh, about a couple months maybe ago. It's been a little, a little bit now. And one of the things that he said, which I, I loved, and it's why I have it number two right here, is is plan for failure. 
And I 100% agree with with everything um, that he was saying here. So what he says is what he said was, is, you know, he's like, it's, it's crazy to me that you succeed 30% of the time in baseball and, and you're good. And 70% of the time, so the majority of the time you fail, but yet we we don't plan for the failure. We only plan for when we're having su success. And I resonated with that because I remember back when I was playing the entire offseason or even before games in the cages, it would always be, you know, really positive stuff. I'd always be trying to barrel up every single ball and feeling good and and all this stuff. And I would feel good. And after I'd leave the cage and I'd feel great. And then I would go out and play the game and I would go 0 for 4. And then I'd go 0 for 7 or 0 for 8. And I would just be dumbfounded and and just shocked. My, I mean, I'd be like, what just happened? I was feeling so good for the entire offseason or before the game or whatever. And now I just feel like I got punched in the face. When in reality, looking back, that's not surprising that that would happen, right? If I went 0 for 7 and my head wasn't up my, you know what, I could have gone three for three the next three at bats and now i'm now i'm back to the 300 again and so it, it's helping put it's it's planning for failure so making a list helping players like make a list of the things that they're not going to do when they do fail when they do struggle because it's going to happen and so for example like one of the things that that i see in players is they want to immediately like change their stance or, or change their swing or do something mechanically. And so it's okay. When, when you start to struggle, here are the things that, that we're not going to do, right? We're not going to change your swing. Um, you know, I don't want you sending video to your, to a coach, to, to me or any, anybody else right away. You're not going to post something on social media, asking for advice from random strangers who probably don't know what they're talking about. Not going to ask your parents or, uh, someone on the on the coaching staff to take video of you during the game and send it to you. All these things are are examples of the things that the players and I think the, it's gonna be best if the players come up with with these three or four things or whatever it is. But they have these three or four things, and what that's gonna allow them to do is it's gonna free them up actually. So when they do struggle, they have more structure, and they're not going to do the things that they normally would do when they start to struggle. And what I've done in the past, and I've been guilty of too, of sending video to, to coaches and, and, and things like that back when I was playing. So planning for failure, creating an anti-list. So another like real life example that's helped me is, is I have like an anti-list of, of one of the things is, you know, I don't get on social media until 2 PM every day. And so you may see that I may post stuff on social media, but I'm not actually on the platform posting it. I'm posting it from a third party, from another platform, because I know if I get on social media before 2 p.m., I start scrolling, I start wasting time. And so that has allowed me to freed me up to be more productive by by creating that constraint on myself. And so that's just an example of of why this this type of thing is is effective the anti-list and, and helping players plan for failure number three process checklist so i had a kid a few years ago he was a very smart kid overthinker incredible athlete incredible athlete and he he would you know I and mean, we've all had this before he'd get in his own head a lot and so one of the things that we kind of collaborated with and decided is like okay Let's come up with a checklist that you can you can control 
And after every game, like you'll fill out, like you'll simply just check the boxes, whether you did them or you didn't. And the only thing is, is, is you have to be able to control them. So again, it's going back to what we were talking about divine success earlier. It's not outcome based. So he came up with his three things, which was he had a leg kick. So it was start my leg kick on time when I'm in the box, swing with intent, because at times he would. He would kind of, you know, he's questioning himself in the box, so he wouldn't just let it loose at times. And then the third is after um, early week, early work and practice, go have fun and play. Just go have fun. And so the games that he would come in after and we'd fill these out, he would have a great game. Like he'd be barreling up balls. He may have gone over, but he was barreling up balls. He was having great at bats and he was having fun, too. It's weird how that works. You have fun. A lot of times you play better too. And so that, that was, again, that was going back to the success thing. That was his version of success, but that was what we call a process checklist. So that's an example of, you know, you have a, have your plan, the two to three things that you can control and you stick to that. And if you stick to that, boom, great job. You just, you just completed your process checklist for the day and you do that every day. And the main thing is just keeping it simple. Okay, so that's number three is the process checklist. Number four, less negative. Be less negative, not more positive. So this is, I, I learned this from Trevor Mohead, who, you know, rest in peace, passed away, unfortunately. But I, I've, you know, learned a lot from him, listening to him. And and one of the things that I, I he said that I really loved is, is telling players to, to be positive all the time is, it doesn't help that much. And the reason it doesn't help that much is, because they're not in a, a, they're not positive in the moment. Like there are a lot of times they're down on themselves. And so we don't really want them to be on, on cloud nine all the time. We don't want them to be like always this really, really positive you know, person. And well, we want them to be a positive person, but this hitter where they, we pretend they're going four for four and they're, they're overly confident and all these types of things. We want them to be neutral. Like we want to be in that neutral state of mind where we're not too high. We're not too low. And what he said is one of the things he found was telling players to be less negative is more attainable for them to get to that neutral mindset than to be more positive. So reminding guys when they're struggling or whatever, like, hey, just be less negative, right? We're just trying to be less negative because if you're a little bit less negative, you're more likely to, to get to that neutral state of mind. And that's more realistic and it feels way more attainable to the player than being more positive, um, because we've all had players where you go, and I, I'm guilty of this, where I went, there's times I went four for four, and I was like, man, I'm the freaking best hitter. I'm going to get drafted. Um, why am I not hitting cleanup in the lineup? And then the next day, I'm going to go 0 for four, and I'm like, oh, like the coach should probably bench me, and I am start doubting my ability and, and whether I can play at the next level. And so it, it's it's like neither one of those is probably true, right? Like I'm, I probably wasn't, I wasn't that good. And then the next game, I wasn't that bad either. It was in between. It was that neutral state. And so being less negative helps players be in that, that neutral state more often. Okay, so that was number four, is less negative. Number five, the art of not caring. So I was at a wedding recently, and uh, one of the, the guys who was at the wedding had a, a great professional baseball career. Great professional. He was top – he was a pitcher – Top five in, in minor league strikeouts, um, very dominant, and ended up capping out at AAA. But he had, he had a really good minor league career. And so I was asking him kind of just what 
what ended up happening, dude? I mean, he was on the way to the big leagues. Like he had, he was throwing 96, 97. And like I said, top five in strikeouts, which is a big deal. And he said, he's like, man, like part of it is I just, I cared too much. I cared too much. And so what ends, what that means is he would, he would do all the right things. He would work his butt off, off the field, in the weight room, preparation, meditation, just nutrition, everything. And when he'd get out on the mound and he would, he wouldn't pitch well for a few games, he cared so much that they would just eat him alive. And so he said, one of the things that he said was, is, you know, if I could go back, I would, I would try to care less. And so I think one of the things to, to note is, is you, it's important to care outside of the lines when you're working out, when you're eating right, you know, your the practice time and all that stuff, and then care less inside of the lines. So once you're actually competing, you just, you let yourself go. You let your training and preparation take over and whatever happens, you just, you live with it and you move on. And so I think one through, you know, one through four will help with players for the art of not caring, but I thought that was interesting that he said that. I've heard that from a few other players too, but it's it is an art to not care when you step up in the box. I've noticed some players that I've coached in the past and who were were high level players and a couple are in the big leagues right now. And and watching them is there were games where they would look awful in the box. I mean, just terrible, swinging at awful pitches. And the next day, they're just they're normal self again. Like that's it. And so that's what I mean by the art of not caring. And it goes back to not letting all the failure get to yourself when you do care. So it's, it's, you care outside of the lines, right? So it's not just, you know, Hey, we're not working hard. We're still working very hard. So you care outside the lines in the weight room and practice and everything, but you care less inside of the lines of, of your actual performance. So it's number five is the art of not caring. Number six, maybe a little bit different, maybe surprised on this one, social life. So I've heard this quote many times before, and it's so true. You show me your five closest friends, and I'll show you your future. And so when I when I talk with players, work with players, one of the things I do think is important, and I think at times in society we get away from this, it's all about, hey, doing nothing but working, and let's work 90 hours a week and do all this stuff. That's not sustainable. And in in baseball, it's such a failure sport. It's very important to have outlets outside of the game. And that's coming from somebody in myself who did nothing except baseball from the time he was conscious until the time he was done playing. Well, actually kind of even till today. But one of the things that I regret is I wish I would have done more stuff outside of baseball because I believe it would have helped my baseball career more often because it wasn't just a, a I was just like one person. It was just my whole identity. And so if you can create, you know, close friends outside and, and help players, you know, encourage them to do that, that's going to be important too. Um, because there's, here's another example. There's been players and this goes back to, you know, who you, whoever players are dating, for example, they have, that plays a part in it. And I don't, you know, how, how appropriate it is to give them dating advice, but there's been players that I've met over the years and, you know, who I played with who were in bad relationships and it ended their career. It legitimately ended their career. And so that goes back to like, show me your five closest friends, show me the five people that you're in contact with the most. And I'll show you the future. Like, are they people who lift you up or are they people who bring you down? And that's going to play in a huge role because a lot of times, and I'm going to, I hope I'm not going to try to get off track here for a minute, but, 
a lot of times when I see from hitters, we all see the mechanics in the box and everything like that. But the first thing that I want to know is what's their headspace like? Like their mechanics maybe are falling apart. They're 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 late. They're early. Whatever it is, but if they don't have things going in control outside of the field in their personal life, that's the first thing that needs to be checked. Because when that's in order, a lot of times they start moving better in the box too. So number six is social life. You know, it's going to bring you up or it's going to bring you down, and it's important to who you surround yourself with. Number seven, very last one, breathing, breathing. So when I I remember as a younger, you know, younger coach and even as a player, I would hear this a lot about breathing, the importance of the breath, but it never clicked with me. I was like, okay, like, yeah, I'm breathing. I mean, obviously I'm alive, right? I'm breathing. And, but it wasn't until I was older and I realized the importance, especially as a hitter and as, and as a pitcher too, the important, most important thing as a hitter is being present in the box, being present. And so it's how can we help ourselves be present in the box? And I think a big part of it can be for players is, is breathing and really just as humans in general. And so when you breathe slowly and the only thing you focus on is your breath, it brings you back to present moment and being present in that moment. And, and you do that and that, it's over time you start doing that more regularly it, it's a it's more of a thing it's a skill it's a practice and so you have that wherever you go it's it's more like a routine so no matter what type of environment you're in stadium a lot of people nobody there you have that routine and so it brings you back to the present moment and so when you get in the box or when you step on the mound now all you're thinking about is is being present and you're not thinking about anything else and i will say I want to elaborate. It's a skill. So it's not something that happens overnight, but it's something that I I do now a lot. And it's something I wish I would have done as a player. Would have helped me a lot. I heard about it as a player all the time. My coaches tried to get me to do it too. It just didn't click. I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't that smart back then. Maybe that's probably the case, but it's, it's something that I would, you know, I would recommend that you still do with, with your own players and it may click for some of them. It may click for, it may not click for others like myself when I was a player, but the, the ones that it, it will click with, it's going to help them a ton. And even the ones that it doesn't click with maybe later on down the road, it will help them and it will click kind of like it did for me with, with my coaches back in the day. I remember I had uh, Nick Audie as a coach. He's now the pitching coordinator for the Red Sox, very big into the mental game and breathing and focusing on the breath. And he would talk to me about it and I'd listen to him and all that it just didn't click. But now it, it did. And it's like, oh, I, I see what you're talking about now. And and so it's helped me out of my life now, um, but it didn't as a player. So I would recommend doing that too. Uh, to your players is, is getting them to focus on the breath. Alan Jager does a great job of that too. Um, if if you you know want more information on, on how to help players with the, the breathing aspect. So that's it. The seven tips for the, the mental side of the game. I love talking about the mental side of the game because it's what separates the players more than anything else. Uh, there's, there's so many players out there who have the physical tools, but they don't have the mental side of the game. And I think a, a part of it is, is, it's not sexy to work on. It's not. I'd rather lift weights than work than work on the mental side of the game. I'd rather get in the batting cage and hit and throw and do you know ground balls or fly balls or hit fungos or whatever it is than work on the mental side of the game. It's discipline. 
But if you can you can dip, make make yourself do it and focus on it and make it a, a focal point and make it very important, it will help your players take that game to take their game to the next level. Like a hundred percent, I promise. Uh, it's crazy. That's the biggest separator that I've seen amongst players. And so hope that helped today. If you have any questions, as always, feel free to reach out. My email is jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. And hope you have a great week. Hope your all your teams are doing well and all your players are doing well too. And we'll see everybody next time. We got it again.